Welcome to Hunters and Unicorns, the Sales Leaders Playbook. Today we welcome to the studio, Paul Kant, VP of Mir at BMC Software. Paul's continued his journey from Blade Logic and now leads a team of over 200 sales reps holding a target north of half a billion on his head. Discover how he's continued to make an impact in one of the largest technology companies in the world. This is his playbook. CXOs, we investigate one of the greatest success stories in the history of software sales. 33 CXOs learnt the playbook from one man, John McMahon, a legacy which stretches back to the late 90s at a company called PTC. They were later reunited at Blade Logic, which was acquired by BMC. What happened next was truly remarkable. These CXOs went on to become the most prolific sales leaders in the software industry. They've raised over 22 billion in VC funding. They contribute to 4% of software turnover globally, 26 unicorns, eight decacorns, and the companies they drive have a combined valuation of 230 billion. At Hunters and Unicorn, we're revealing their playbook. Welcome to another episode of Hunters and Unicorns. I'm Simon Kutis, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ollie Kune. Good afternoon, everyone. And I'm delighted to welcome Paul Kant. Welcome. Thank you, guys. Hi, Simon. Hey, Ollie. Hey, nice Paul. to be here. Thanks for coming on the show, Paul. Pleasure. Paul, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Uh, just as a bit of an introduction, you are currently um, VP Amir at uh, BMC. So essentially, you are the most senior sales uh, exec within uh, BMC covering EMEA um, and just some kind of high level numbers to kind of give a bit of context as to your position uh, at the moment. So my understanding is that you're currently leading a team of around 200 reps, including um, managers and carrying a small number just north of uh, half a billion on your shoulders so uh, <laughs> well you know we don't talk about uh, talk about numbers at, at, uh, at a mere level but uh, yeah north of that and uh, around all in about 220 230 sales people and then we've got uh, about the same in pre-sales and overall employees around just over a thousand employees and I look after the sales for the distributed side of the business so the enterprise business which is everything other than mainframe okay fantastic well some some remarkable numbers uh, there paul but um, we're going to spend quite a lot of time talking about your journey at bmc but if you could just take us right to the beginning how did it all begin how did you uh, how did you enter software sales it's uh, it's been quite an interesting uh, process talking to you guys because it has been a walk down down memory lane and um I do uh, uh, think back now to when I first went into uh, software sales uh, with PTC, going back to 96. Uh, before that, I was in telecommunications sales, but really software sales in 96, I was looking very much for a, um, a solution that was uh, disrupting the market. And PTC at that time, as you guys know, 
very well was really in the sweet spot of disruption because they were taking the 2D CAD CAM business and, and ripping it up really and, and changing it completely. So um, they had a reputation back then for, you know, the bar was set really high. And so I remember going for my, my interview uh, at PTC looking to, to work for this, this company and it's quite an interesting experience because well, the, the last interview was actually you get flown to Amsterdam and there's a guy at the time called Pete Tyrrell. Right. You, may have, uh, you may have come up, uh, his, uh, up against his name. And uh, I remember it really well, sitting in the reception of the PTC office in Amsterdam. And I guess a few people might remember this situation that interviewed there. And uh, the time of the interview came and then it went. And then an hour, and I still, that Pete hadn't turned up. So around about, about an hour and a half um, past the interview time, I had a flight that I had to catch to go back to, to England. So I had to go and find Pete Tyrrell. So, you, you, you know, you get past reception, you go up in, the, up in the stairs, you're opening doors to try and find out where this guy is. And uh, eventually I came into the room where he was. And, you know, he looked up, he was in, in this meeting with a lot of people, and I said, I'm... Paul Kant, I'm here for an interview two hours ago. And he looked at me and he, uh, he started laughing. And in a way, it was kind of their, just to give you an idea, it was kind of their test of seeing whether or not I would just sit in reception or <laughs> I'd go and find out where, where these guys were. And, I, and they did it a few times. And luckily, I, I managed to get past reception and go and find him. So I got the job eventually. So that's how I got into PPC and how I got into uh, enterprise sales. Brilliant. That's a... Um... We've heard lots of stories along those lines at PTC Blade Logic. The most interest, another interesting one we heard the other day was Andy Sadler and his CV turned up to the interview. The hiring manager grabs his CV, gives it one glare, rips it up, throws it on the on the thing, and said, "That's shit." Now get out of here. <laughs> I'm not sure you'd get away with some of the interviewing techniques uh, in, in the present days that, that, with, uh, that we went through in PTC, but uh, HR definitely. Yeah. Uh, HR definitely have a thing or two to say about that. I think. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So, 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 Paul. Obviously, PTC. You know, there's a lot that has been said about how tough you know it was there. But I suppose that was your entry into sales. How important was that for your journey and and the and the and the grounding that it kind of gave you? It was fundamental, Simon, to be honest. And one of the reasons why I, I was happy to, to speak to you guys is that, you know, I'm really proud of you know, having worked for, for PTC and also for, for BMC, two iconic uh, companies. But, you know, PTC, you know, capturing a market and how they went and did that really has shaped uh, my whole career, not only from decision-making of where uh, which companies I've gone and worked for, but also the, the playbook. And you've been talking to a lot of the viewers about the playbook and how that uh, all came about at PTC. And I think that um, I'm steeped in that, to be honest, having spent six, seven years there from rep to VP at PTC. Um, and I, I became a real student of it. And I think it, it's, it's nice for you guys to give it oxygen again. Because yeah. I think it, it is something that was, people tend to think it was just PTC, but actually it's had a life since then. And I was speaking to my wife actually the other day and she said it's, it's the new guard now. So if there's, a, if there's a, an opportunity for us to share these experiences with the new reps and the new first, second line managers, 
that can get some insight from people that had it firsthand, then that, I think that's a great, a great, uh, great thing for us to do. So, uh, you know, kudos to you guys for, for doing that. Yeah, thank you. I, I suppose in terms of the 33 CXOs, part of the motivation as to why it's significant, right, is because the fact it has been repeatable and actually has continued to evolve in further iterations, as we've seen, Paul, yeah. um, you know, I, I think it gives it a lot more weight. And, you know, you're an example of an organization that's taken that core. And obviously, during this interview, we're going to hear a lot more about how you've been able to even adapt it and how adaptable it really is. Yeah, definitely. I think that the first thing for me, Simon, at, at PTC, because I know that the 33 were at Blade Logic, but there was a good percentage of those that were at PTC, obviously including you know, the man himself, John, right? So I think PTC has a lot of responsibility in the success of those 33, or a good portion of those 33. And um, for me, it was, you know, the, the, it all fit together really well, what they were trying to do, because when they, the way it was explained to me right back in 96 was that they built the, um, the sales engagement model as it was, as a qualification framework. So in, in writing to a bunch of CIOs and asking them if, you know, if they were to meet with a sales rep for an hour, um, you know, what would they want to see and hear to, to give them a qualified next action? That built the engagement model, which they called back then the executive presentation, which was the, the first meeting in effect where magic could happen where the rep could get a qualified next action or not. And that, that process, whilst it was a very value-centric process and we were going into, into manufacturing and design companies and looking at the overall end-to-end process of design all the way through to manufacture, to build the value, the difference between what they're currently doing now and what they would do with PTC, um, you know, that process in itself was a qualification framework, it was a transactional model. The more of them you did, the more money that you could earn, the more revenue that you could deliver for, for parametric, and of course, the more value you give to the customer. Um, and that's, that was the first thing for me, which really kind of I connected with intellectually because it made a lot of sense when you're selling a disruptive technology to actually do that process review. Um, so it was it was reasonably intellectual. It, it needed a, quite a bit of science behind it, and that science was there within that executive presentation, which then obviously after that had a qualification event, and then a business case event, and then a testing uh, down the line. And you'll see that that engagement model replicated in a lot of companies since PTC, including Blade Logic, which we can talk about uh, later. And then you know John's spoken extensively about Medic, but Medic applied across the top of that, that sales engagement model is where you get the real power of both of those tools, um, you know, to really make sure that you're not wasting your time as a sales rep. So it clicked for me and it was a really good background in that. So, so j- just to kind of frame that for us, that survey, how many people was that survey sent out to? So they sent to uh, about a thousand customers, thousand prospects. Um, to C-suite uh, CIOs, IT directors, asking them that question, right? So if you wanted to not have your time wasted. Now, you remember at the time, the, the, the methodology that people were actually going to these first meetings was, it was one of those, they were asking lots of questions of these executives. 
So, you know, what are your pains? What are your challenges? So on and so forth. Whereas what the, what the CIOs came back with and told PTC was that, well, I don't want to sit in a room and give somebody information about what my challenges are and my pains are. I'd rather they came to the room having already done that, that level of research. And so the executive presentation was built around um, giving the rep a tool to gain some credibility by doing some research. And there's a, the first few slides in that presentation are what we call a value pyramid, which is um, which really helps the rep get a lot of credibility in front of uh, executives. Can you just tell us maybe some of the elements of that? Of, of that, you know, what, what what does that kind of consist of? Just as a, a kind of a high level summary. Yeah, certainly. So, the, so as I said, the first few slides are all about the value pyramid, which looks at the external influences of the market that you are selling into and then the rep maps across the business objectives, business strategies, IT initiatives, and then the critical capabilities that they need to actually uh, achieve their, their IT initiatives to the best degree. And then we map our solutions to those critical capabilities. And then there's a reference slide and an action slide within it as well, because um, I think there's 10 slides in total. And that enables us to to go on a journey, I guess, with the person in the first meeting from having never met them before to actually giving you a qualified next action is quite a difficult skill. So the, the framework of that executive presentation really helped the rep focus more on his sales skills and, you know, his, uh, his um, uh, skills to, um, you know, to help the champion building in the meetings and to do, you know, all of his selling rather than actually um, you know, winging it a little bit. So it was, uh, it was a very important process. And the story, the metric within there is a very, uh, was a very strong drive for PTC at that time and Blade Logic, by the way, where, um, you know, the metric had to be in the same geography, the same industry, and had to have some business case in it for, for value like time or cost or quality or something like that. So that, that was what was in the executive presentation. And the idea was then to close for qualified next action. And that's what we measured at PTC and further down the line at Blade Logic as well. It's pretty innovative stuff, right? Because we are talking, what, almost 30 years ago? <laughs> it was a long time ago, right, PTC. And they were really trailblazing the, the, the way in which sales were being kind of shaped and, you know, the whole mindset. What, what, what do you think about that? So I, I, I've heard PTC described as higher and fire. Yeah. Uh, before, but I never thought of it as higher and fire. The bar was set really high. So the the recruitment criteria, which you, you've spoken to a few people about, um, of intelligence, character, coachability, and experience, you know that that was personified at PTC, and I think that that was where that came from because you know we wanted to have you know really serious professionals. John's spoken about it. You've got to be a student of your profession. I'm a professional salesperson. I don't want to do anything else. I love this job. Um, and if you study and intellectualize the engagement model and medic and you wrap up a great cadence around that, and I think that's what a lot of the people that you'll be speaking to have in common, that they, they don't uh, underestimate the power of, the, uh, of this profession. And it's, it's very easy to explain, very difficult to do exactly as per the design. So there's lots of opportunities to take shortcuts. So I spend most of my time now um, helping and coaching and leading people to execute as close to design as possible 
uh, and uh, close the gap between where they are currently and then what the design says they should be doing. And it does make a massive difference. So PTC for me was a, you know, the bar was just set really high. Well, actually, kind of one of your key components of your playbook is be a student of the game, right? And I think that's what you're kind of referring to right there. How much of that was learnt at PTC and, and how much of that have you had to discover yourself or was that always kind of part of your, your DNA? I don't think it would be fair to say it was part of my DNA because certainly what I was doing at the company before PTC was different. And in all the people I interviewed while I was at PTC and brought on board, what they were doing was different. So certainly um, I think that in my experience, PTC were the first company to put that engagement model and the theory behind the engagement model, map medic across it, and then start to drive the analytics behind the the activity, um, and then measure all of that. But I think it's fair to say that that it was a long time ago, and I, I think that it's been tuned and tuned and tuned and tuned um, over the years. So I think that uh, in multiple industries. So I think I'm. Um, I think it's 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 definitely a vein of of that that uh, that I still hold, and and I and I still believe that even now, you know, the process that we employed, it, it looks a bit different, the different words that we use, but ultimately the building blocks are exactly the same as what we what we built uh, PTC under. As well. So I think it was fundamental, Simon. Basically, do, do you do you think that your so the maniacal detail and the dedication to mastery is kind of intertwined with being a student and and really you know really learning what you're doing do you think that's really helped you create that evolution rather than just learn one way of doing it do you you think that was kind of a a key part of evolution i think uh, that's a great question actually because i see this process and, and the engagement model and medic and and, uh, and and everything else around that, it can be executed in the wrong way because it is an enterprise demand creation sales model. And in my mind, that means that, um, you know, you need to have an opportunity which is disruptive. So, you know, the, 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 the model itself is designed for that sweet spot of the product um, life cycle, which is in the middle of the S-curve which has three or four years of differentiation and you've got to capture as much market as possible by executing this, uh, this process. So it's not designed to, do, to, to, to run in a fulfillment world or a capacity world. So we've commoditized at the top of the S-curve and evangelized the bottom. So it's right in that sweet spot. So you have to apply it to the right level of opportunity because it's, it's heavily invested. You know, you really... Um, are investing a lot of time and energy when you get further down the engagement model where you're doing your process review or business case study or whatever you want to call it, that is a quite a resource intensive, time intensive. So you better be damn sure that, that you've got a qualified opportunity here and you, you've got a champion and you've got an opportunity that is actually going to be worthwhile you spending time on it. So it, uh, it's, um, you know, it's a very uh, important part of the, the, the playbook to make sure that you're spending, you're doing this process on the right profile of opportunity, at the right level in an organisation. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, did you join? Because you, you left 
or as as a VP of major accounts for PTC. But did you join as an individual contributor and work your way up to management? Yeah, I was an IC. Uh, I was a rep in um, in uh, Newcastle, Newcastle upon Tyne. <laughs> right. Okay. And then and then at that time they had uh, regional sales manager, district managers, regional directors, then AVPs and VPs. So I moved up through that through those ranks. Um, uh, with a, a very uh, good friend of mine, Jeremy Duggan, who I met uh, was my first time manager back in back in the day, and so we spent quite a bit of time working together up to being uh, VPs. I think over about six and a half years at uh, at PTC. Brilliant. And and how easy did you find those transitions? Um, <laughs> that's a really interesting question. There was nothing easy about anything at PTC, but uh, certainly. Um, you know, you you must have heard before that the the promotion criteria there was that you were a good sales rep. Yeah. And what they did there, which we don't do now, but I think we should start bringing back in some way, shape, or form. And I'm trying to do that a little bit with with the with the um, succession planning that I'm doing at uh, BMC. To become a first line manager, you had to spend a bit of time in enablement, because okay. part of the role of the first line manager was to, you know, not to tell the reps what to do because then you're building a dependency, but to actually coach them to think for themselves and solve problems for themselves. So it was a real interesting choice that they had. So whether it was three months, six months, or 12 months, you know, to move from first into leadership within PTC, you had to actually spend time being able to coach and develop people. Yeah. And that was where... Um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of this, a lot of the, the skill that I learned in development and coaching and running enablement and building IP and stuff like that was at PTC because of that. So it was quite a good playbook for that. Um, the framework that they gave us was was uh, world class. So in implementing that, I think that um, that it was probably made easier for us. But you know, I, I don't think sales leadership is easy anywhere. <laughs> quite frankly. Um, but uh, I enjoyed at PTC. Yeah, because it's an interesting point because from PTC, you've obviously grown to VP of major accounts, and then you, Jeremy, and Andy left and went to Essential Software. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. But you joined there as an individual, you know, contributor. I did. Yeah. I mean, I was pretty young. I was a VP at, at PTC, so I was. Mm. I can't remember exactly how. I think I was thirty something like that, 31, something. So I was quite young. Um, and, and it had happened very quickly. So I, uh, as, as they say, I, I went to back to being a, an IC um, to, to really kind of, um, uh, quite frankly, earn money. <laughs> and uh, so Essential Software was some of the best years that, uh, that I'd had implementing what I'd been leading and coaching at PTC, going back to, to implementing that um, uh, for essential uh, software over uh, three years, I think. Yeah. Is, that yeah, is that a hard decision to make? No. Once you're at management level to go back into. No, I think I think for me and for for maybe very interesting for for me PTC. You know, PTC was quite a big company. I think there was about a thousand salespeople at PTC when I, when at the time when when I left, which is quite a big community of people. So. To make an impact, I think you have to be in sales leadership in a company that size. Um, if you go to a smaller company, which Essential was, then you could make an impact by being um, by being an individual contributor. So for me, it was all about 
making an impact. So uh, it wasn't a big decision for me. I think uh, I was an IC at Blade Logic as well. And then when we came back to BMC, although I don't want to get ahead of myself, then going back into leadership was an important um, thing for me to do because it was a bigger pond, right? Yeah. Essential was quite a success story in its own right. I think it's another example of the power of the PTC playbook at the time. Obviously, this was before Blade Logic. Obviously, you know, just just tell us a little bit about it. I mean, it was really a uh, we picked up what we'd learned at PTC. Let's make no um, bones about that, and then implemented it across uh, that market, which was the ETL extract transformation load market. So data warehousing low data warehousing market. But it's also an interesting story because I don't know whether Andy told you or not, but uh, Peter Guinness, who was the CEO, used to be the CEO of Infomix. So you, a lot of your viewers will, will know, know this. And, um, and they sold Infomix to IBM for a billion dollars. And they, but IBM had their own ETL solution. So they didn't take this product called Data Stage at that time. So Peter then set up a company called Essential Software. We went to work for Essential Software for a guy, I don't know whether you've, you've, you've got him on your radar, but Dave Woodcock at the time was the director of, uh, of Essential Software. Um, and uh, we worked as the head of sales with a guy called Jim Vedder at, at that time. Uh, and over the three years we grew that, myself, Jeremy, Andy, a few other people as well grew that to be around 300 million globally. Our portion was obviously less than that in EMEA, but, and, and then uh, the funny side of the story is then we sold it back to, to IBM for a billion dollars. So in effect, you know, in a very short period of time, you know, for a product that IBM didn't want as part of the acquisition, uh, we grew by applying this playbook, Simon, the same as we've done at PTC, grew that globally significantly and then sold it back to IBM. So it's another great success story of the power of what you can actually generate by applying you know, the, the science and the art and the, um, you know, the cadence around this process. Incredible. Because it was three yeah. years, essential software. I think in total it was about four years. I was there for about three, uh, I think. Yeah. It's an incredible turnaround, it's, right? It's another so, incredible story, yeah. Yeah, mm. it is, yeah. And then the phone A lot of the people from PTC, Ollie, went to essential. I know they went all over the place. Yeah. But um, in the US, there was quite a few people at Essential as well. Yeah. At the yeah. Time. And then you, Andy, and Jeremy get a call 2006, three years later, from Blade Logic. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Andy went there first, I think. Okay. If, I remember, if I remember right. And then Jeremy and, and, uh, and myself, I guess at that time, you know, you, you kind of realize what you are and what you're not. And at that time, IBM. You know, you couldn't make an impact in IBM. Right. Um, the bar was not set that high for demand creation sales professionals. So we'd lasted in IBM about as long as we could, which is about six, seven months. <laughs> and, um, and then I <laughs> went to work um, really in a similar vein. But, uh, but um, unlike Essential, I think the, the market was, was, uh, was, was non-existent at Blade. So we were really in a, you know, there was a few of us in an office uh, really ringing people up, um, you know, hi, it's Paul Kant from Blade Logic. And then it'd be like, I, I don't, they thought they made a link with us and, and uh, servers rather than software because you had blades, right? 
and uh, no, I don't need any servers, thanks. So it was really, it was really opening a market really for at that time from zero, yeah. and which we did over a, a few years. And as the story goes, you know from John that uh, that we were around about 100 million, I think, uh, when BMC came knocking. But we executed the same engagement model. We called the first meeting the value pyramid at that time. We'd re-engineered it, we'd rebuilt it, you know, and um, but it was a it was the same intellectually. It was the same engagement model as PTC and Essential. How much belief did you have in that model by this time, Paul? Um, well, ultimate, I guess it wasn't a belief at that point. It was more experience of uh, of success executing it. So I wouldn't say it was so much a belief as an understanding of okay. what of what how it should be done, how it shouldn't be done, um, uh, an ability or a capability to to know how to qualify opportunities in and out. And one of the things I always tell my reps is that sometimes they get into this this view that their their job is to get a yes from a customer in a first meeting, whereas it's not. Their job is a no is a good is a good answer if the the opportunity isn't big enough and the guy doesn't have enough power or influence. Then if saying yes can can be dangerous because it's quite easy to get a yes if you've got an, if you've got a, a next action which is not really costing the customer anything. So. Um, and as you know, time is probably the rep's biggest asset. So the, the, the reason why the engagement model, sales process, whatever you want to call it, is, is really very good is because it is a qualification framework, both for the rep to qualify out as well as qualify in. And you always need to get a good mix of those. But uh, so it was a big, it was, a, it was a, an understanding, Simon, for me about how this could really help me maximize the impact of my time. Plus, I was always only interested in executing it across large deals. So rather than smaller deals, because it's the, whether it's a 200K deal or a million, it's the same amount of effort. Yeah. Um, you may as well do the million rather than the 200K. Really. By the time you joined, was Blade Logic firing on all cylinders or were you part no. of a kind of initial grind? No, I think I was the 20th employee, something like that. And uh, in Blade, so it was. It was pretty. Uh, it was pretty young at that time. I can't remember exactly, but there was no market to speak of in EMEA, you know, or in the UK where I where I worked for for Blade. Yeah, so it, was, it was. It was very young in in its uh, in its history. Did you have any reservations at that point, or or again, were you so? No, I think that the. Um, uh, you know, uh, my my view, and I, I alluded to it right at the beginning of this chat, was that I, I developed, and maybe in hindsight, you know, I can't really say that uh, that it was with total forethought, but uh, that I developed a set of criteria, which was, is that a company I want to go and work for? And Blade Logic and Essential um, fit both of those, fit all the criteria. So the criteria in Blade was. When I mapped Blade across that criteria, which started with how big is the market, and there was a lot of industry um, data around the size of the market. So it was a multi-billion dollar market, and um, certainly it was growing because we had Opsware as competitor in that market. And uh, so it was a market that was growing, and Blade Logic had some technical differentiation, which meant that that we could do things differently to everybody else. 
So if you think about a big market, it's a double-digit growing organic market, and you've got a, a differentiated solution. Those were three of my top criteria. Um, and then the fourth one was the culture. So I knew the people um, very well. Uh, so I knew what they, you know, they were serious about this profession and serious about growing and making an impact in this market. So the culture was one that I was happy with and fit with very well. And, um, and the, uh, the opportunity for us to, to grow and then sell was always very clear for us to be able to make some uh, big impact in the, in the market on a global scale. So that, that, that's something that, uh, that keeps me at BMC now as well when we get to talk about that. So the criteria is something that I just did a recruitment webinar with about 100 people attended um, virtually, and I went through that criteria and got some great feedback on how people make decisions of which company they go to. And I think this is your, your, your guy's business, right, that you know, I'm always looking for somebody that comes to me that actually has a plan of why do you want to work for BMC, you know, what is it you're making your criteria on rather than they're just looking for a job, you know? Yeah, I think again, it's probably testament to the likes of John and you know Steve Dev. Uh, you know, there's 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 a lot of kind of really good leaders there. The fact that you were in the trenches, probably getting a bit of a bloody nose, but yet you were so bought into the vision and the, and where the business was going. And I think a lesson there is obviously you know the importance of understanding the mission and taking it away from the everyday kind of struggle, if you know what I mean. And I think that's obviously definitely evident. Yeah, I mean, we uh, we wanted to uh, uh, own the market and beat the competition. So there's a very clear mission and vision set for the for the top of the company. But it was a small company, so you know you were you had a direct line to Dev and to John. So it was a it was an opportunity for us all to share in that journey, really, which is very important when we get further into the conversation about being part of a journey. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. We normally ask this question at the end, but I think it's quite an interesting point to actually bring it whilst we're actually reflecting on this point of your career, um, which is what sacrifices are you making at this stage of your career, going from essential into Blade, where there is a high demand for you know, your time? You know, how much and what sacrifices did you, you know, have, to, have to consider at that time? I think there's a, it's very hard to, and I guess a few people have maybe said this, but it's very hard to separate out life from this profession because it's not a nine to five job. It's really a 24 seven and, and quite akin to, I think, to having your own business because, you know, we, we, we look for, people that run at the, you know, whether you're an IC or a first line manager or an AD, you need to have your, 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 your own um, uh, business plan, your own mission. You know, it needs to be part of what you want to achieve rather than the collective. Mm. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of um, individual leadership and shared leadership rather than hierarchical leadership. And I think that if you can actually, you know, get a team of people that, that are self-sufficient in that way, then that's going to be way more successful than, than um, some other model, I think. So maybe it's a long way around of, of answering your question, Ollie, but it's, it's, it, there is a sacrifice in that, right? Because being available 24-7, working long hours, 
um, you know, seeing yourself as your own independent ink, uh, yeah. you know, because nobody was really, you know, helping in, in other than giving you the framework and the methodology and so on and so forth. Hmm. But like any salesperson, ultimately, where I cut my teeth was was calling the yellow pages, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> there's no more lonely lonely job than sitting at a desk and doing that. But uh, so you do have to sacrifice that. But I I, I kind of got mixed views of that because I never felt it as a sacrifice at the time hmm. because I was enjoying doing it and I felt like I was making a difference. I was learning. I was at the top of the game. So it, it, there were sacrifices, definitely. Bit of family sacrifice, a bit of you know, kind of seeing your kids and things like that. But ultimately, um, you know, it's kind of got me to where I am, I guess. Mm. And at sorry, sorry, at this stage, were you thinking about what your end game was? Were you now thinking, I'm at Blade Logic? Were you just thinking about quarter by quarter, year by year, doing sales and making money at this point? No, I, I think that essential. I probably was more selfish in that regard mm. i think at blade we i felt that we were on more of a journey because we've been together a long time by then especially me andy and jeremy who are probably the three that've been together the longest i mean i worked with jeremy for for 20 years or something like that so you feel like you're part of a, a quite a tight um knit community there but um i think at the time that blade sold we were we were really happy that they'd sold and it was about you know what the next the conversation was all about what do we do next um which wasn't an individual question it was more a collective question so you'd move from being an individual to being a collective a little bit <laughs> and um you know as a team of people that, that that work together have fun together are successful together then we were thinking about what we do next so that was um that's probably what most of the conversation was around at the time so obviously the acquisition um, happened, uh, BMC, to say there was a bit of a mixed response in terms of, um, I, I imagine not many people wanted to hang around. We've heard, you know, it's, it's well documented that obviously what the culture at BMC was like at the time. What was your initial thoughts when, when that was announced? Um, probably the same. I think it was, uh, I didn't know BMC. Uh, a lot to be honest but certainly when we because they ran us separately for uh, for about six months um, and you know so it was easy to, to be outside the, the BMC tent looking in a little bit and they weren't as uh, the culture was not um, anywhere near as serious as the culture uh, where we come from so um, you know, they, 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 they didn't drive the same commitment to engagement excellence or qualification or activity. You know, I mean, it was still a very successful company, um, but I think that there was, we saw opportunity there for us, I guess. But only if we could change it, because it was quite a big company at, at the time. And I think that that gave us the opportunity to, uh, you know, to actually work with the company to grow the company was what we were looking for, I think. It's obviously been described as a reverse takeover because obviously, well, you can, you, you can kind of tell us some of the, kind of that the numbers, Blade Logic barely being 100 sales reps, BMC being substantially more than that. 
what was that kind of shift of power like? Just kind of take us through what that was like and what you're. I think it was. I think rather than a reverse takeover, I think there was a there was definitely a recognition from BMC that they that they'd got an asset in Blade Logic, um, but they'd also got an asset in the experience of the sales team, and quite smartly, I think the the uh, you know the the board at the time had recognised that that we could add a lot of value to the sales teams within uh, BMC by helping them scale. So um, taking all the leaders from Blade Logic and giving them a bigger playing field was a really smart move, right? And, and, and for a number of years, that really helped BMC grow significantly. So I think that... Um, you know, I think that it was uh, it should go down in history as being one of the one of the smartest moves I think of a of an acquisition of a small company because it it could have just sat on the side and and not created that that energy. So I think, you know, I mean, fair play to the BMC leadership at the time. It was a it was a smart move to do that, and I think that gave everybody that quite frankly in a small company, John and and uh, um, and everybody else that was in the sales leadership there had done bigger jobs before, right? So. Um, from a scale perspective, so I think that uh, that um, you know that enabled us to hit the ground running and keep hold of the group of people for probably longer than than we would have done. Do you recall any kind of moments or kind of events where you kind of realised, okay, there's actually something more. We're going to have a bigger impact here than perhaps what we initially initially thought well, I think the biggest the biggest moment was when when John got announced as the uh, the head of sales I think that um, you know we were all receivers of that information at the same time as everybody else so it was uh, it was the moment I guess where where you know we saw that um, that that there was going to be opportunity here because the you know BMC historically has has, has been you know a leader in its domain especially uh, you know around the um, you know the ERP for IT, as they used to call it, right? The business service management uh, uh, footprint that they had, or the, the strategy they had. So to get hold of this much, this very well-known piece of software um, platform, you know, there was definitely opportunity. So as soon as John got announced, then there was opportunity for us there, and I think we stayed together for quite a while actually at that point. Yeah, but that was the biggest moment, Sam. Really. Yeah, I, I suppose it must have been. There must have been some resistance, I'm sure. There was. Uh, it must have been a very interesting time. But again, this whole series is obviously dedicated to a moment in time, a moment in history, um, the 33 CXOs. By this time, were you kind of realising how special this group were? Did you kind of feel as though, you know, these guys would go on and have the impact in the overall kind of software industry by this time, was that evident to you, Paul? Um, yeah, I think so. I think that um, uh, you know, the, the, at Blade, you go to do your training, development with Kaplan and, and, and what have you, and that's probably where you get to sit, you know, with the the hundred, um, you know, the thirty three being part of the hundred, and. It, you know, it was it was very evident to me that there was a high quality of individual in, in the room. You know, and uh, certainly, you know, uh, ones I remember very fondly, Marty Marty Carty, who uh, 
where I was rated very highly, uh, and Mark Musselman as well, who I know you guys you guys know, uh, you know Andy, uh, you know who can be a pain sometimes, but <laughs> but, uh, but love him to death, uh, you know very very capable individual, and and there was that you could tell that right, and I think that uh, as well as Luca and uh, and John and Cedric, who I spent quite a bit of time with, as you guys know, and in fact me and Cedric. Yeah, I used to work for Cedric directly, and I remember we we locked ourselves away in a room for a couple of weeks uh, and and built something called the the uh, uh, the Sales Excellence Handbook, which is a big thick book like that, where we just we just kind of got our black books out and just started kind of uh, mapping all that out. So I remember a lot of these guys very fondly, definitely. Well, that t- tell us a little bit more about that, Paul, because I know that that's quite a significant part of your armory now. I, th- I think that's a kind of a key component, or elements of that are a key component of your playbook. Can you kind of just tell us a little bit more about yeah, that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, what we found, Simon, was that that you know the, the biggest the, the, when we got the best feedback was when we told stories of sales stories of what went wrong, what went right you know, what the bear traps are, you know, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, which was more about a personal experience than going through, a, a, you know, some, some sales training, which was more about theory. So there was definitely a gap around taking the theory and making it real, real for the reps, real for the first-line managers. And um, so the, the, the goal of doing that with, with me and Cedric was to, to do exactly that, to, to go through the sales engagement model, everything from, you know, the PG veto approach through to first meeting, uh, qualification event, business case, testing event, negotiation and close, and then go through, you know, this is, this is what good looks like. Here's the typical mistakes that people make. Here's the things that are going to catch you out. Here's the things that you need to think about. Um, and that was, uh, that formed the basis actually at BMC of, of our um, our global enablement training, so they took the the booklet and then turned it into a virtual series and so on and so forth. But it was that that gap between the theory and the practice is where I felt a lot of these um, a lot of the uh, the opportunity we were missing for the sales teams, and that's why we kind of moved to a masterclass type model um, to uh, to pull out the stories in the room. So most of the enablement we do now is in smaller groups, maybe maybe 18 to 20 people, and it's run by salespeople and sales managers as the coaches with maybe you know, 12, 13 of those 20 are the people going through the masterclass, and then the other seven are the ones that have uh, shown uh, excellence in their careers around executing the model. And it works really well because you get – it's less about the theory, more about the practice of implementing a lot of the techniques. And, uh, you know, we get a lot of great feedback on it being the best training that the people have ever done. And, and it's not because of the theory, really. I think it's because of the stories that you pull out of that, you know. So it's, uh, it's a very uh, interesting uh, model. And I think it works very well for us. Yeah. Because you must have been at an interesting point of your career here at this moment in time. Um, because obviously you've now been with BMC, what, since the acquisition in 2008. And there is a, a two-year progression, 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 2008 to 2009 entered as the UK sales manager, 2009 to 
2010-12 country manager, AVP, and VP of Southern Amir, now VP of Amir. Um, but that, at that point, you know, there must have been a lot of calls from headhunters kind of trying to tempt you away for new opportunity. There must have been a little red man sitting on your shoulder saying, what about this opportunity? And tell mm. us, you know, what, what was it that made you stay at BMC and, and still stay at BMC to this day? So uh, uh, two or three very, very simple things. Firstly, um, it's quite interesting because I, I, I joined as BMC as an as a IC, right, mm. from Blade. And I think the first, first year or so that I stayed as an IC, but it was quite obvious that BMC was a bigger company. There was an opportunity here, so to, and I wasn't as young anymore. <laughs> so to invest in the, in my, uh, back into my leadership capabilities seemed to make sense to me. Um, and uh, so that's what I did. And I had the opportunity to go and run Spain. So I, I jumped at that. Sacrifice, personal sacrifice, obviously, in, involved in that. But um, so that was the, the, the first thing. The second thing was that uh, when I look at the, um, the, uh, the criteria that I went through previously, it's a big market, it's a growing market, we have differentiated solutions, uh, I've got an opportunity to set the culture myself. So that, that was, uh, there was lots of ticks there for me as well. And, and you know, I, I'd had, uh, you know, the PTC experience, essential experience, blade logic experience. So yes, I could have gone and looked for another one of those type of experiences. But I think that uh, investing in my own leadership brand and in creating my own legacy uh, was the opportunity that BMC uh, gave me and has given me. And I, I think that... Um, you know, rather than jumping around, I think it was important for me to to invest, uh, you know, in a company like uh, like BMC, invest in BMC. Uh, that's that's really interesting, and I think um, it's incredible that in such a a large organisation, you still felt as though you had the breathing space to be able to go and really have tremendous impact and. I suppose that's where maybe the third part of your, you know, the third playbook element that you want to talk about was, which is around the seven wonders of sales management. You know, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about how that came about and, um, and what, what, the, what that entails. Yeah, certainly. Um, well, it came about because we'd been doing all of the training, which I guess a lot of the people that, that you've been speaking to, um, you know, command of the people, command of the plan, um, you know, we've been doing a lot of the development around the sales process, so on and so forth. And and I remember I was running Spain and I walked into um, the office of one of my sales managers, a guy called Marcus Delgado. Uh, and behind him on the wall, he had a, 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 a like a piece of paper with about 18 things on it. And I asked him what, what it was. And he said, it's all the things you're asking me to do as a first line manager. Um, and, you know, it was pretty clear to both me and him then that he was right. And if I was going to, if I was going to, we put so much effort into the front line, Ollie, right, into training and developing and tuning and optimizing the engagement model, the first line, so on and so forth, that, that I think that we've made it a little bit complicated for the, for, for the managers. So um, we came up with this uh, um, seven things that actually have, have moved a little bit over the over the years, but the seven things which we call the the uh, the seven wonders of sales management, 
and it was designed around masterclass and it was designed to be the you know there's probably 15 things you have to do but these seven you can't drop and if you drop anything drop the other ones not these ones and then each of the seven has um, a set of best practices and a set of tools and um, and collateral of, to help the managers to execute on those seven. And I mean, the seven in itself aren't rocket science, but certainly they they enabled us to simplify the role of the um, of the manager because it's such a symbiotic relationship with the type of selling that we're doing first-time manager and their team and that's why the span of control in this type of selling isn't one to ten or a one to twelve it's a one to six or a one to seven maximum one five six seven um, so the first four of those were all around sales excellence as you would as you would guess right the first one being business planning the second one being pipeline the third one being qualification and the fourth one being operating rhythm now um, business planning um, and business plan and territory planning was something that we found was really very important to be a successful manager because you needed to really set your own transformational mandate for your team, including the brand. And that's scalable as well. Um, so there's a lot of work went into what that should look like and how to build that and how to execute it. Pipeline, you know, it's the hardest thing in sales, right? You guys uh, have spoken to a lot of people about that. but. The role of an RSM in setting the right culture for, for to drive and manage pipeline is not hasn't been really written about or built. So the the energy, the commitment, the you know the culture, the, the, the you know the the obvious um, uh, you know fights that you've got to have with your team around them always wanting not to PG. So that whole pipeline area is very important. Qualification medic is very critical in that but also activity and sales process maturity so um this is where you may have spoken to somebody about leading indicators so leading indicators really measure activity new business activity there's revenue indicators and then there's sales process maturity so how do you have a qualification conversation with a rep is what this seven wonders is designed around and then operating rhythm so how do you set up an optimal operating rhythm so those those four were pulling a lot from a lot of the stuff that we've learned over the years, a lot of the, 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 the collateral that's out there and then giving it a little bit of a masterclass spin. And then the, the, the other three is really all about culture. Um, so first of all, you know, from a, we're trying to, we, we recognize that everything was about transformation. So leadership is about, about driving transformation and you're always transforming in some way, shape or form. So we had to think about the role of the RSM from a, from a leadership perspective. And that involves all the, the questioning techniques and so on and so forth to build capability. Um, recruitment and onboarding, you guys are it's your business, but what we found was that the onboarding was very theoretical and not field ready. So we've built a field ready onboarding, which every single person comes into my organization has and is owned by the rep, but then managed by the manager. And then every rep after six months has a development plan, which they own, which is linked to the leading indicator. So, um, you know, we're very committed to not just talking about that, but actually having it as part of our DNA. 
So it's something that takes constant effort, but recruitment and development is, is critical. Um, recruitment onboarding, sorry, is critical, and then development is absolutely fundamental, and you need a development culture. So we are driving a, a self-development culture. So each team takes responsibility for their own development. So it's a long, a long way of saying, but these, these seven things are, have really helped both large account managers and first-line managers have a framework for managing their, all of the things that they have to do. How much time do you invest in training? So um, we do a, a significant amount. Personally, I spend a lot of time developing. So every quarter I run Seven Wonders and I run um, another development which we've called Meaningful Leadership, which is built on an MIT um, study. Uh, and um, so I spend quite a bit of time on that. I would mm. guess more than 15% of my time is spent in that. In that area, and we also do mentoring, coaching program as well. So, and I'm I'm doing a lot of that. So, quite a bit of time, but it does, you know, it, it is fundamentally um, part of our success framework. Why we, uh, when we bring somebody on board, that's part of our culture, and I think we're quite well known for that, BMC, for for developing uh, great salespeople, building great capability. Mm. It's interesting because you've what got. 200 reps over 200 reps that you're managing and you've got a big number against your head and on your shoulders how do you stop this role from being you know uh, an excel managing role you know in in the, in the role that you're doing so jim schaefer who uh, um was the chairman of Infor, when before i got this job he gave me some advice and he says you need to have a good ops person Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, a little bit tongue I do have a very good ops person, um, but uh, I, I guess I guess the the answer to that is the new guard, Ollie. So the team of people that I work with um, at AD, country manager level, um, AVP, VP level, I've been working with most of them for um, eight nine years now, right. and they can all do do uh, you know they all have their own innovation they're all building their own ip you know they my job in some ways is to make sure that they feel that they can spread their wings right. both inside bmc and as we've spoken about before ollie if that's outside bmc it's outside bmc um but uh you know that that you know, as long as they're happy here and they're developing here and they're they're picking up some of that weight because i couldn't do what i'm doing just if it was just me that was that was committed to that way of doing things. Right. So it's a big team effort across the board from operations through to my sales leadership teams um, and myself as well. I think that, that has to be the answer for me. That, yeah. for that. Paul, it's, it's, it's interesting that BMC still remains one of the most is a breeding ground for some of the best salespeople in the world. You're, you're obviously very, very proud of that. How do you feel about those people being, you know, cherry picked once they're ready to go on to kind of startups and, and really build their own legacies? Because we're seeing this time and time again. How do you feel about that? So I, uh, yeah, you always have mixed views a little bit about that, but, um, Genuinely, if somebody doesn't feel that BMC is the right place for them, I would rather get behind finding them the right 
place. What I what I what I find in the market, and you you guys will have a, a clear view of this, is that when somebody falls out of love, they feel like they have to move out straight away. And what I say to people is that there's nothing wrong with with falling out of love with BMC, but don't make the mistake to um, to to do a lack of due diligence, a lack of qualification, or quite frankly, leverage your network um, and your champions networks to get go to the right place. And you'll find, and I don't have the stats, but you guys probably have the stats. Is you find a lot of people that leave where they go is they won't be there in 12 to 18 months. They'll go somewhere else. And I think that my, you know, I'd encourage, encourage, um, you know, everybody to be very open about whether or not they want to be at BMC with me and my leadership. And if they're not, I'll help them go somewhere else because, you know, they, they can carry on, um, you know, with the, the legacy in a certain way into, into other companies. So I, I do look at my, my role in certain ways as finding talent, building talent, and then letting talent fly. You know, certainly fly inside BMC would be my preference, Simon. Right? But <laughs> if that's not if that's not to be, flying outside is also great for BMC as well, and the brand of BMC and and what we stand for here, right? Which is building very capable sales and sales leaders. Yeah, it's clear that obviously you you are building a legacy of your own, Paul. And I think. Um, you know, we obviously speak to a lot of the 33 and, and, and lots of other people in the industry, not just the 33, but outside. And you've got a lot of credit with a lot of, you know, of your peers. Um, we, we do hear a lot of really positive stuff about you. Um, how do you reflect on, your, on where you are in your career? Um, I'm very proud to have worked for, for two very iconic companies, PTC and BMC, which I guess would be the bookends, I suppose, um, of the current, uh, uh, you know, where I am in my current career, with a couple of, uh, um, you know, very interesting experiences with Essential and, and Blade in the middle. Um, you know, I'm, the reason I'm at BMC is because I'm a com committed to what we're trying to achieve here at BMC, and no more so than now, um, where I see, you know, massive amount of transformation uh, coming so um, what I like to do is to transform things and build IP and and uh, and you know create uh, very capable salespeople in doing that. So I'm I'm very happy to reflect, I guess, on 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 my career, which isn't over yet, Simon. By the way, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, you know I think that uh, for the certainly for the short medium term, then. Um, you know, BMC is giving me the opportunity to, to you know, pay back in a certain way to uh, to a, a bunch of uh, salespeople and sales leaders that have been committed to me over the years as well. You are going through quite an exciting transformation right now, Paul. Yeah. What? Why is now a good time for people to be joining BMC? Um, that's a great question. I think firstly that uh, I go back to my. <laughs> my framework for that, that the market that we're playing in, and if you think about that, the um, for my own area of of, uh, of control within within BMC is in um, the automation uh, market, uh, is in the um, digital service management market, is in the cybersecurity market. All of these markets are growing massively, right? 
I think IDC uh, put it something like you know 12, 13 billion, and then 20% um, you know CAGR. So without a shadow of a doubt, it, it, we're in an enterprise space and we're growing, and that's in a way a little bit COVID bulletproof. Um, and we've seen that with some of the results recently being very strong. So you know when I look around why I'm here and why people should consider BMC, that would be the first thing that I would talk to them about. We've spent a lot of time here talking about culture and um, you know we, we, we are committed to the development of great salespeople. So you know if you've got the right makeup of character, coachability, you know experience, so on and so forth, then you can be very successful here and build a very, very good career here. Um, and I, I also, around 85% of all of the leaders here are from ICs. So we certainly have a meritocracy. We are looking to bring people in from the outside because you have to continue to, to um, adapt and innovate the, uh, the gene pool a little bit. But nonetheless, you know, there is opportunity for people to progress their careers here as well. And with the new C-suite that we've got, Ayman and Ali, the chief product officer, and Ayman, the chief executive officer, supported by KKR, you know, we're investing, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in, in innov innovating our solutions, which we've done in the past, over the past 40 years, but no more so than, than just recently where we are, you know, launching everything in a SaaS context, launching everything in containerized, um, building out the vision for an autonomous digital enterprise platform. So really exciting developments, not to go into that in too much detail, um, which as a rep or a manager, then you know that's something that you should get excited about and something I'm excited about. It's, it's, just, it's just fantastic that an organization of your size just continues to innovate um, and, and continue to kind of develop and, and stay relevant in, in so many ways. I think it's just fantastic. Just kind of going back to the, the, the story that we're obviously talking about, the 33 CXOs, obviously Blade Logic BMC stories is a really, really key, I talk about moment in history, moment in time. How aware is, the, is BMC and the culture of the John McMahon legacy? How, you know, how, how much do you talk about it? How, how do you keep that flame alive? Do you have a picture in your office of him? <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think I've got a picture in here. Yeah, staring at me from across the table at the interview. That's the, the, the long-lasting picture. For those of, for those of your viewers that have ever been through that experience, then you'll know what I mean about that. Um, we talk about it a lot uh, because it's part of the, the the training and development that we do. Uh, which uh, we built a program called Back to Basics, uh, which is a two-day um, training um, in the basics of, of the engagement model. So the, it's important to give that some root, to, to, to embed it in a firm foundation of success. So the story about PTC, Essential, Blade Logic, um, which is obviously very, very important to the BMC, link, um, then the, the first part of that back to basics is, you know, why should they listen to this? And what was the success that we've had from this? So, um, you know, I think that every rep or manager at BMC know the story. 
and in fact after after you released john's um john's session that you did with you there was a lot of chatter on the uh on our internal uh whatsapp and stuff like that you know across the board so it's definitely front and center for most people and i think that you said it there's a lot of people that have spent time at bmc as well so you know yeah. whether they have fond memories or not i mean it's we've definitely uh, um you know we've had some great leaders here that are doing some great things now and uh, you know i think that uh, i'm i'm kind of linked to a lot of them yeah absolutely Did that answer your question i, I, I can't remember now. no absolutely it absolutely does absolutely does um, I, I suppose, um, you know, one, one of the questions we always ask, uh, I, I know kind of Ollie alluded to it earlier. Do you, do you, you know, what do you spend your spare time doing? Do, do you have any spare time? What, what can you tell us about Paul outside of BMC? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I uh, family, family first, as they say. So my, uh, I'm spending time with my wife, Evelyn. And my uh, my three year old Clyde, and Evelyn is uh, is uh, uh, a big supporter because she also used to be a VP of sales, and um, uh, working for she has the same network as me actually, so she knows John and a bunch of other people as well. Uh, been very successful in her own right, so I spent a lot of time with them, um, trying trying to learn to play golf. <laughs> which is uh, I find very enjoyable whether by myself or with other people uh, and uh, I go to the gym because I, 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 as I say to my my managers that you've got to have the balance right because it's especially during lockdown and I'm sure you've heard this that it's very easy to to lose sight of that and just burn hours because um, everybody expects you to be available so you've got to get the balance right for that so that's what I spend um, and before the lockdown I was traveling a lot so I, I don't travel as much now. So um, I'm getting the opportunity to do some of those things a little bit more. Uh, so so not, I'm not saying long live COVID <laughs> because of that. But uh, and I, in fact, I'm getting quite frustrated about not traveling now. But um, but that's what I'm spending my time doing. Sam. Yeah. Great. And, and I suppose the final question we always ask is, um, does the hunter make the unicorn? Um, well, I, I knew you were going to ask me that question, and um, I'm not really sure I understand the question. Okay. <laughs> so explain so, what you mean by the question. So the hunter being the the the, um, the salesperson, the, uh, the you know the hunter, the sales hunter, the unicorn being the the, the business with a, a billion dollar valuation. Is it possible for those companies to be successful, or would they be uh, billion dollar companies if they didn't have the right kind of sales leadership? I suppose. Yeah, I think that because the, the bit I got confused was whether it was in the, you were talking about individually, the, the individual hunter. But okay. um, so my view is that the team has a lot to play here in this. And if you get the right um, collective together, uh, whether they be the sales leader, the first, second, third line, as well as the IC, by the way, then then that's what makes the unicorn in my view. That that team working together, and they're all they're all of a certain caliber. Then um, it's that unit that uh, that really make the difference. And that's in my experience was what was different about PTC Essential and Blade was that there was a bunch of people there that were all carrying the same weight, uh, which is difficult to scale. That 
Yeah. So uh, um, I don't know whether I need to give a pithy uh, uh, comment, you know, answer to that question, but genuinely I think it's uh, it's it's the group of people all doing the roles that they've, they've got within that unit that make the difference. Fantastic. Okay. Well, um, you know, I think it's been, you know, fantastic speaking to you. Um, you know, as, as for kind of closing conclusion on, on what we've heard today, um, I think it's really interesting where you've come from in terms of PTC, that whole experience, the whole interview process right at the beginning. It might be difficult for an outsider to really understand that because it's very, very tough, you know, very, very um, kind of strong. They're really looking for character. And it's not until you actually start to appreciate why that character was so important. Um, it is, is essentially, it's the framework which enabled PTC to be able to recruit in that way. And I think what we've heard today is that you've continued to take that concept you know, that, that idea of building process, building framework. And, and there's so many misconceptions in, in, in the world that we live in that frameworks and process actually create barriers and stifle you. But actually what you've mm. demonstrated today is that it's actually given oxygen. It's actually enabled the business to be able to grow. It enables you to breed repeatable success. It's enabled you to breed management growth. Um, and actually where... Some, some people don't understand the importance of frameworks and processes. It's such a key component to your playbook that it's essentially enabled you to continue to evolve and to create the innovation and transformation and also helped you develop on your personal journey towards your continuous, your continuous journey towards your end game. So I think um, it's been quite a profound um, uh, interview you know I've, I've, we've we've certainly uh, of yours will certainly have got lots uh, lots from it today um, so. So, so yeah just want to say a really big thank you for for taking the time to speak with us and uh, we've really enjoyed oh. hopefully going down memory lane has uh, has has been uh, has been a great journey for you and a, a great process for you also yeah and uh, it would be remiss of me uh, not to sort to finish by going through two things one is sharing with you again that uh, in digging through my files and going down memory lane that I found three three PTC share certificates worth some material money so I'm very happy with that thank you very much and um, and secondly maybe just to give you guys some feedback that, that genuinely that giving oxygen to what to what this playbook as you're calling it uh, can has achieved in the past and can achieve for people going forward is the fundamental reason why I, I wanted to, to do this with you because I think that that um, there'll be a lot of people out there that can get the same amount of value as I got uh, by really really studying these playbooks and, uh, and and being a student of it. So you know, thank you to you guys for doing that. Yeah, thank you so much, Paul. Really, really, really enjoyed today. So um, yeah, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. Brilliant. Thank thanks you a lot. Much. Thanks, thanks, Paul. Paul. Yes. Thank you.